you to look with me in the book of Philippians in chapter number 4, and we're going to look at, the, at verses 4 through verse 9 this morning, and I'm going to get through this quickly, but there's several Christian virtues here that I think that we need to pay attention to as the body of Christ. He says this in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The first thing I want to draw our attention to today is this idea that God's people should be a people of praise. God's people should be a people of praise. Look with me again in verse number 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say again, Rejoice. Now, the word rejoice here comes from the word Cairo, and it's in in results of experiencing the grace of God. So all circumstances that we have in life may not be something that we can rejoice because of, right? But we always can rejoice in the fact is that the grace of God for those of us who have been born again has changed us, right? It has changed us, and we are now being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we always have something to rejoice over. We sang about this idea of being saved earlier. I remember Good Friday, 1993. It's been 30 years. Uh, Your pastor... One of our brothers here on the front row told me it was 1970 for him while we were standing there singing. That was the year I was born. And so for him, it's been 53 years now uh, that he's been born again. And so we have much to rejoice over because of the faithfulness of God. And and it's the picture really of, of a lamb, a young lamb that's skipping and bucking and running out in the pasture. You know, you might not be a lot of people who are sheep farmers in here, but you, you have seen cows out in the pasture, I know, because you live in Jackson, Georgia, right? And some of you may have had cattle at one time or another, and I've worked with cattle through the years. But, but I would say that if you would look at a young calf ripping and roaring through the pasture and having a good time, This is the same kind of picture. This is the kind of picture that the Apostle Paul is wanting us to have, that we ought to be overwhelmed with rejoicing joy. And that joy here, he says, we're to rejoice in the Lord. The circumstances may not be conducive for rejoicing alone, but the fact is that we are in Christ and that we have all that he promises that we have, that everything that we are, that he says we are in this book we have, we have reasons to rejoice. And notice he repeats himself. Himself. He says it again before the verse is over. And so he states it twice, knowing that in our flesh we have a tendency to negativity, don't you? 
When you're left in and of yourself, you have a tendency to negativity. Our knowledge of God is really the key to rejoicing. When we really get to know who God is and what he's done for us and how he acts on our behalf daily, and the fact of the matter is that he loves us, right? That God loves us, when we get a hold of that and that gets a hold of us, then we have reason and cause to rejoice. We have salvation. We have clothes. Everybody in here has clothes. You know, that's not, I've been to places on the planet where people don't have clothes. There are no clothes for them to wear. There are no shoes for them to wear, especially the children. You have a roof over your head. You, you know the gospel in your heart and in your mind, and it is readily available. You have a, a church building to be able to come to and worship where many people are crowded in uh, in a small building, sometimes in fear of their lives every Sunday uh, around the world. We have so much to rejoice over, and Paul certainly found himself with a bloody back when he was at Philippi with the ability to rejoice. He wasn't rejoicing that his back was bloody. He was rejoicing in the God of the universe, that he had mercy on him, that he saved him, that he gave him a song in his heart. And so we, we as God's people ought to be a people of praise. We ought to be a people who sing. When we come in here and gather on Sunday morning, we don't need to look like we've been baptized in lemon juice and weaned on a dill pickle. Okay? We got something to sing about. Right? I, I love watching people going, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm thinking, man, your heart needs to tell your face. We got a problem here. There's a disconnect. I know you got a lot on your mind, but man, we're singing to the God of glory the one who sent his son to die for you on the cross. So we ought to be a people of praise. Number two, God's people should be a people who are patient. Look with me in verse number five. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The word gentle spirit here could be translated forbearing or patient or mild. It's the idea of you and I, it's a, it's a hard word to translate into English language and get the full weight of the meaning. It, it is to yield one's rights. It's to show consideration to all men, those who are lost and those who are saved, those who are rude and those who are kind. It is to all men that we are to be patient and gentle towards them, those who agree with us and those who disagree with us. You know, it's kind of in the context of harmony that Paul writes this because he just kind of, he just kind of chided Euodia and Syntyche in the previous passage to tell them, hey, you need to get along. Y'all need to stop fighting. You need, to, you need to love one another. You might disagree, but you don't need to disagree disagreeably. And we don't do we do that when we when we're gentle towards one another. We yield our own right. And so we as God's people ought to be a patient people, a people of grace, a people that realize that if it were not for the grace of God, we would spend eternity in hell. When someone falls in sin, we ought to be gentle and kind towards them, hoping that the goodness and kindness of God would lead them to repentance. Why? Because you and I are capable of doing worse before the week is over. 
And in light of the phrase that he says this, he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Just to remind you why you ought to be gentle is because one day you're going to give an account, right? You're going to give an account of what you've done and how gentle you've been towards one another since you've come to know Christ. You're going to give an account for how you've spent your life. And so the Lord is near phrase could be uh, several things, but, but it's this idea that we know that Christ is in us, right? The hope of glory. Those of us who are saved. So he is pretty near, isn't he? He tabernacles with us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Not only that, he's everywhere at all times isn't he we can see God in his activity he is he is around us he's in us he's around us and thirdly and I think probably what the text is referring to is this idea that the Lord's return is at hand he's talking about the parousia the the event where Christ is going to come and get his church and so once he returns it will be too late for us to change won't it It'd be too late for us to do anything about that. But while we're here on this earth, he wants us to be a people who are patient. Thirdly, I want us to look at this and see that God's people should be a people of prayer. God's people should be a people of prayer. Look with me in verse number 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God. And so God's people should be a people of prayer. Prayer is heaven's prescription for anxiety. And so prayer ought to be the first thing we go to when we're anxious. And so he says that, that we're to pray, right? That's a, a general idea of laying our anxieties down at the feet of Jesus. We're really good at laying him at the cross and telling him what we want to do. But when we get done praying, what do we do? We pick them back up, put them in our pocket, and take off with them. We like to hold on to them, but we're to cast them upon Christ because he cares for us, 1 Peter 5, 7 says. But it's this idea that he mentions, not only does he mention prayer, but he mentions supplication, which is lifting our requests to God. God cares about the big things and the little things. God cares about all things, and we may have needs for ourselves and needs for others. We may be praying for salvation of, of someone's soul or missions efforts, and, and we may be praying for our pastors and our families in God's kingdom to advance, and you might be praying that God would send you the money for the next car payment and the house payment, and it, it could be a number of things. It doesn't matter how large it is, God cares. It doesn't matter how small it is. God cares. God wants you and I to communicate with him. He wants us to be a people that pray. But not only there, he has a focus here in this verse on this idea of thanksgiving. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. You say, well, I, I just don't have anything to pray about. I, don't, I, I just can't pray that long. If you would just begin to thank God for everything that you have, and everything that he's blessed you with, you, would, you could sing with integrity, sweet hour of prayer, couldn't you? 
You could sing that with integrity at that point because you could spend at least an hour thanking God for all the good things that he's given you, all the good things that he's done for you. And a spirit of thanksgiving also uh, makes us a people who, who, who have a, a lifestyle that's thanks living, right? We're, we're more thankful than we are uh, disgruntled. We, we, we can obey what Paul said here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, to do all things without grumbling and complaining. You probably don't struggle with it. It's probably just the evangelist, okay? It's probably just me, I, I, I'm, but I got an idea that I'm hoeing in your corn patch. Because we, 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 our, uh, the whole atmosphere changes when we're thankful. The whole atmosphere in the home changes when we're thankful. The whole atmosphere in, in the church changes when we're thankful. And so we need to be a people of prayer. And, and listen to what happens in verse number 7. Because of that, we become a people of peace. God's people should be a people of peace. He says in verse 7, The fruit of this prayer is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so internal peace... For those who are already in a position of peace, let me explain that. You're already in a position of peace if you're born again. Because in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, you've been made at peace with God. You're no longer at war with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're at peace with God. And so that's the position of peace. But you and I can be in the position of peace and not be living at peace not be practicing peace, not be at peace in our mind, not be at peace in our heart because of things that we need to do. And so the peace of God can pass all understanding if we will, if we will do the right things with what we're thinking, with how we're praying. It says here it passes all comprehension. Can I, can I give you a translation to that? It blows your mind. Right, I know some of you probably are emoji people. You, you text emojis to communicate. Anybody in here ever text an emoji? Raise your hand. You're guilty. Yep. Yeah, we all have to express some kind of emotion. And for those of you who don't know what an emoji is, it's a little icon on the phone that expresses uh, all kinds of things. Could be happy, could be sad, could be like, I love the one for blow your mind. It's this idea, there's this little picture and face on there, and this guy's cranium cap is exploding. And so it's this idea that that blows my mind. And some people can live in, in such despair and spend time in prayer. And because of the prayer that they've prayed and the way God has worked, the peace of God that overwhelms them has blown their mind. It passes all ability to, all ability to comprehend what's going on there. And so because of that, we become a people of peace. He says we're, this, this peace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the seat of the emotions which will affect the mind is, is in the heart. We will look at it in a greater detail in a moment, but, but this idea of the peace of God guarding our heart and guarding our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, did you know that you've been given the mind of Christ? I want you to think about that for a moment. Every person 
that's been born again has been given the mind of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that the old man is gone, right? The old nature is still there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, you've been given the mind of Christ. And so, therefore, you've been given the ability to think rightly. You've been given the ability to think rightly according to the Word of God. Now, as I have said, you still have the old nature that's in you. In fact, this, you, there is also the ability, I believe, by the demonic forces that are in this world system and Satan himself to, to throw things in your mind. I think that that could happen. In fact, is would you all like for me to put your face on the screen up here and every thought that's come through your mind this week, would you like for me to do that today? Y'all go like this. No, you would not. No, you wouldn't. Why? Why? You'd be embarrassed, wouldn't you? Now, thankfully, every thought that comes into our minds is not sin. It's what we do with it, whether or not it becomes sin. And so, we've been given the mind of Christ, and so this peace that should pass all understanding should also guard our hearts and our minds. And, and really, we're, we're boiling down to this. It's the idea that if you've been saved, your behavior should have changed. Your virtue should change. I know a lot of people that claim to be saved and nothing other changes other than they come to church every week. And I'm, I'm frightened for them because I think, man, I'm, I'm afraid that Jesus is going to say to them one day, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I don't know you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Not care, you don't care about the will of God. You came to church for what it would do for you wasn't for what you would, could do for the kingdom, what, 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 what you could do to be a part of building the kingdom of God. And so if, if there's no, been no character transformation in that aspect, then, then you probably have never been born again. Fifthly, and finally, I want us to see that God's people should have the right perspective. In verse number 8, he, he, he writes a, 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 a section here where he gives a lot of different things that we ought to think about. And, and he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true. And he goes into several of these, the things that we ought to think about. It's the call to center our mind really on exalted Things. So we're to think on those things that are true. You know, I tell people this all the time. The Christian life, the battle of the Christian life is won and lost in the mind. If you can win the battle in the mind, the feet go where the mind goes. Okay? And so you've got to take every thought captive, the obedience of Christ, and we're to meditate and focus on those things that are true or honest or valid. And, and, and where do we find truth? Well, we find it in the Word of God. That's where we find truth. And so our mind should be stayed on the Word of God. You say, well, i got to work. i got to do that. You do. You have to work. You have to go to work. You have to do things. You have to use your mind to think about those things. But in the back of your mind, all there, right real quick, we ought to always be thinking about those things that are true, those things that we know to be true. Is everything true on the news? Y'all go like this. No, it depends on who you watch. They spin it for their direction. They're spinning it everywhere. And, and so you don't know what's true and what isn't. I mean, we, we, in fact, is, you know, you, you, can find, you can find cocaine in the White House, and we can just, because there's no cameras, there's no more investigation. 
I bet that wouldn't work at the mayor's office here in Jackson, would it? Oh, yeah, yeah. We probably know what's going on, but if I focus on that, I'm going to get disgruntled, aren't I? So I need to keep my mind stayed on what is true, on the Word of God. And what's he, another word here he says is honorable. Think on those things that are honorable. That's something that's noble, not just earthly things, things that are worthy of respect, high character and, and high moral living. And, and think on those things that are honorable. The third thing he says here is right. We ought to think on those things that are just according to God's standards. We ought to think on those things. The fourth thing he says here is pure. It ought to be moral purity, something that's chaste and holy and clean. And, and by the way, I'm just going to go ahead and say this today. That means that a lot of things on your television, you're going to have to cut it off. You're not going to be able to focus on what's high and holy watching that stuff. You know what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Did you know that? And if, and if you're focusing on all that kind of stuff, people ask me sometimes, and some people don't ask because they're afraid to, but they say, well, how do you know what you're supposed to watch as a Christian? And this, is my, this has always been my deal. I've always said this. I said, you know, if you could sit down and watch this in your living room and you could picture Jesus walking through the door, coming over and sitting down beside you and grabbing some popcorn, and you would not be the least bit convicted or uncomfortable, it's probably okay. But if you would be, should a Christian be putting that kind of stuff in their minds? Which means even watching the news reports about all the debauchery sexually that's going on in our culture and all the confusion in the world system about What's a woman? What's a man? Who can participate in this sport? Who can participate in that sport? All the confusion that's out there. I mean, we don't have to have our minds stayed on that all the time. We're to have our minds thought about the things that are pure, the things that are right and chaste and holy. Number five, lovely. He says, he says there, there's, we ought to think on those things that are lovely, those things that are pleasing and agreeable and gracious and generous. Keep our minds stayed on those kinds of things and of good repute, something that holds to the highest of standards. He says these things are excellent. These things are praiseworthy. They're worthy of praise when we think on those. So when a thought comes in our mind, we have to make a decision. Does this fit the filter of what God says I ought to think about? And if it doesn't, I'm supposed to take it captive to the obedience of Christ, which means I've got to get it out of my mind. I've got to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. I've got to say yes to godly thoughts and no to Whatever kind of thought it is, if it's a thought that's negative, if it's a thought that's angry, you know, you, some of you probably, and you'll drive down the road and you'll get to thinking about something happened in the past and you'll think, I should have punched them right in the nose. <laughs> some of you probably have thought that. You, 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 that's raced through your mind. And, 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 and is that the right thing to be thinking about? Y'all go like this. No. But that's where our flesh goes if we let it go. And so we're to be controlled in what we allow this, this great computer that God's given us to think. 
We're to be controlled in what we, this, this computer that God's given us called the brain sees and hears and all of those things that, that come into it if we're a believer. So God's people should be practicing the right perspective or mindset. Now in verse 9, he closes this together. He says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. God's people ought to be a people who practice. Paul says we're to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. He says, you've, Paul says to the church, you've learned these things from me because I've been with you. And I, you've received them because I, I can tell by the way you heard them and, and you've seen them in me. Not only did Paul, not only did Paul tell them and teach them, but he, he lived it out in front of them, right? That's why he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, let me ask you this. Would you want anybody imitating you? Would you want anybody imitating your attitude? Would you want anybody imitating your mindset? Would you want anybody imitating the way you live? That's the goal in the Christian life is to be able to say for those coming behind us, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we're not just to think about it. We're not just to write it down. But we're to do it. We're to put it into practice. We're to, we're to actually have some accountability on how we're putting it into practice. You know, as I'm reviewing yesterday afternoon and thinking about this message today, I'm, 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 thinking, about, I'm thinking about, do I respond to these things the way I ought to? And God highlighted an area for me. So you need to work on this one. This is the one you need to work on right now. This is where God's at work in me. And so maybe here today, you, you as a Christian said, God's, God's highlighted some things. I would, I, would, I would be mindful. That's the Holy Spirit. I would be mindful to, to give some time of prayer to that and, and asking God and for help in that area because, listen, now, now if you just look at these list of things that I gave you uh, and, and you're not a believer... This is just be dead moralism for you to try to improve yourself. It's just nothing more than self-help stuff if you're not born again. But if you're born again of the Spirit of God, then, then God is trying to transform your character to be that of Christ's character. God wants you to grow. He expects some growth. He expects you to, to grow in his word and in understanding. You remember the statement that I made on the beginning, you know, the word behavior modification. Those two words is, are big buzzwords today from a lot of teachers. And they say that, you know, the gospel is not just about behavior, modif or not about behavior modification, and it's not, okay? You can't be saved by modifying your behavior. You can't be saved by coming to church, okay, right? You, just like you couldn't go home and sit in your garage all afternoon and be a, and, and be a Lexus by evening. You're, that, you're, just coming to church is not going to make you a Christian. You've got to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ's finished work on the cross as payment for your sin to save you. You've got to do that and that alone to save you and to change you. And so, and so behavior modification won't get you to heaven. However, if you know Christ as your Savior, your behavior should be modified by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. 
And we see that all throughout the New Testament. That's why Paul says, practice these things. And then he promises God's presence. And the God of peace will be with you. If you'll practice these things as a believer, God's peace will be with you. God himself will be with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's peace will be the transforming process in your heart and in your mind in Christ Jesus. And so maybe here today as a believer, you say like me as I was reviewing my notes, yeah, that hurt. God, I'm sorry. Help me in this area. Name it. Name it to the Lord. Help. This is not just a sermonette for Christianettes to go outside and do something else, right? If God the Holy Spirit spoke to you, you need to deal with it. But maybe you're here today and you find yourself outside the family of God. You find yourself in a place where you know that you've not been born again. There's no life transformation that's happened in you. Oh, right, you may have prayed a prayer a long time ago. I meet all kinds of people drunk and in and, and, and a lot of other places that prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school to get saved. They prayed that prayer in vacation Bible school to get saved, and, and they ain't been in church 25 years. And, and there's some preachers out there that when they come back to their funeral time, they'll say, well, I know they were saved because they prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school to get saved. Friend, that's not New Testament salvation. That's not New Testament salvation according to the Word of God. See, when Christ comes in you, He changes you. He changes you from the inside out. And so what I want to I I commit to you today is I, wanna, I want you to have some assurance that you are born again that you have been born again, that the Spirit of God really does live in you? Do you have a desire to pray and read the Word of God? Do you have a desire to, to, to obey the Spirit of God and the promptings of the Spirit of God? All of those things are evidences that we have been created in Christ Jesus anew, that God's given us a new heart. And if you haven't had that today, friend, today's the day you can have a new heart. You can, you can have a, a new heart. You can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm.